Welcome to the Eternal ROI Podcast, where we share the real stories of workplace transformation. And now, here are your hosts, Will Stewart and Chris Patton. Welcome to the Eternal ROI Podcast. So glad to have you. This is the podcast where we share the real stories of workplace transformation. I'm Will Stewart. It's good to have everybody in listening and watching. And I'm joined with uh, joined by Chris Patton, the CEO of His Way at Work. Welcome, Chris. Thanks, Will. Appreciate it. Yeah. Glad to be here. Absolutely. And our guest today is Mr. Mr. Peter Freisler. <laughs> he is CEO of Polydeck here in Spartanburg, South Carolina. And uh, this is going to be a fun episode. I'm excited. I cannot, yeah. cannot wait. Welcome. Well, thank you. Yeah. So you're the CEO of Polydeck. For everybody that hasn't heard of Polydeck, it's a, it's a large company that's uh, national and international. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about what you do. Uh, we make equipment for the mining industry. So in North and South America and have patents globally. And specifically, it's to provide screen media that screens out large rocks from little rocks. Um, and provides a screen media that um, is very durable and is it has modularity to it, which is the inno- innovation and invention that we came up with many years ago mm-hmm. and continue to innovate. And so we have a, a particular niche in that market. And for viewers who may or may not know, there's a program on TV called Gold Rush, which is a um, on the Discovery program, mm-hmm. and that's mining for gold in Alaska in the wild frontier and our product is used on that show so if you want to get a little context you can actually see it there that's amazing so it was started by your dad right Mm -hmm. the the company how many years ago so he started off as a teenager he was 19 in 1958 Mm -hmm. and left Germany and went to South Africa and there he um, joined a partner who had some experience in the screen media woven wire industry mm. and the two of them started a company and um, off they went and it struggled at first took them probably seven eight years to make a profit but finally they made it and uh, then developed from there so that's awesome and so your role today is, is CEO mm-hmm. and when did you come on uh, to the company what's kind of what was your rise to that so basically I started in South Africa with my dad, went to college there, worked in the business uh, the first few years, and then was trying to figure out, you know, um, we had a fledgling company here in South Carolina, which was kind of a small satellite business. Mm. And I worked in South Africa, but then I had to make a decision. Was I going to come and spend time here in the U.S.? Or we had another um Uh, licensee in Australia so I was like okay well the world is my oyster really where would I want to go and live and um, that's where I had a an epiphany and God showed up and helped direct my attention here to the United States and I came over here in 1994 Mm. in the height of the apartheid transition Mm. uh, to a new government over there and um, it was kind of all coincided at the same time and was a result of a shooting incident that happened, and um, I decided God was telling me go to America. Yeah. So it's where I came. <laughs> it's awesome, and you know, Polydeck does things excellently in the in the in the mining industry. But there's some things that you guys do 
uh, internally as well. And that's something that, I mean, it's no secret what, uh, what we do, uh, what we talk about in this show is about companies that are, that are doing things that have eternal impact with mm-hmm. helping their employees and the culture there. And I know that's something that, that you guys have been leaders and, and been, been working on. But what led you to that, to that point of you know, wanting to care for your employees and, mm-hmm. and develop a culture that was God-honoring? Mm-hmm. I, I suppose what, what happened to me personally, this is a personal story, is I came here to the U.S., started really developing the business, and it grew dramatically. And um, it uh, got to a point where I was all about the business Mm. and forgot about God's role in the business, forgot about my connection to God, and it became just about money, right? Mm. And I got to the point one day where um, I had this epiphany that I'd reached the American dream, Mm. but it was an empty dream and it was just about money and using people to make money and it felt hollow it felt empty and i was kind of disillusioned and then a friend of mine invited me to a spiritual retreat it's a three-day silent retreat in which i had a chance to really get to hear what god was saying to me and he grabbed a hold of me and said you know it's not about the money it's about the people Mm. and these people are souls they're not a means to make money they are the reason the business exists is because they have um, an eternal perspective. And so what I realized was God said to me, I, I want you to love your neighbor as I love you. Mm-hmm. And that was the, the genesis of the change was to say, well, how do I love my neighbor? How do I care for him? And it's multidimensional. It's you know, caring for them physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And that's where the journey for us started to see how do we create eternal value with this business. Mm-hmm. And so. So let me ask you this, Peter. When I know your story, but I want to make sure that, that those that are listening get a chance to hear the, the transformation, key word there, part of our purpose of this podcast. But talk a little bit about what Polydeck looked like prior to this moment when God got a hold of you and, and showed you a new perspective on these people? What did it look like before that? And then what's the after look like? So um, at the time when, when I had that retreat, probably the most important index that we could point to about caring for people was employee turnover. So in other words, how were people happy there and were they staying there or was that kind of a hellhole? A, um, and we had 25% employee turnover per year, which was way, way more than any other company here in Spartanburg. And at, that was at a time when unemployment was, um, you know, was in the, in the average. And so the problem was ours. And so the transformation that we created was creating an environment where people wanted to stay. Mm-hmm. And um, so... I'm not sure how much of that story you want to share, but yeah, maybe. Yeah, I, I think you. the listener wants to know because some of the people listening have businesses or in businesses where things might be fairly good, but they might be pretty rough. You guys went through a pretty deep transformation from a pretty rough and, in your words before, toxic culture in the business prior. And then after this retreat, it's, it's like 
the sun came out and things changed. I know it's not overnight. You know, I mm-hmm. love to hear about 20-year overnight successes. So this was not <laughs> overnight, but but as close as it could be. So give us an example. What what would How would you describe that toxicity and then the after effect? What, what did it look like beyond that? So my name back then was Darth Vader, if that says anything to you. <laughs> and, uh, you know, people would say they could hear me long before they could see me. And that's not a good thing. Mm-hmm. And normally it was followed by cuss words and <laughs> not loving words and a lot of aggression. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we were letting people go left, right and center if they weren't performing just like they should. And so it was a very toxic environment. What we realized is that at the end of the day, these are not just people there to make a product, they're souls. And that the business was a platform for ministry that God had gifted me the business, and he was asking me what was I gonna do with the business. And it, the, the, the big aha moment for me was it wasn't about how much money we were making. I don't believe God's gonna ask me one day, mm-hmm. you know, how, how much money did you make? I think he's gonna rather say, well, you know, I gave you this business, I gifted it to you, and just like that parable of the talents, God gives us gifts and then he wants to see a return. And I don't think the return he's looking for is money. So if it's not money, what is it? And the aha moment for me is what eternal value is the business creating that honors God? And so it was a huge transformation that started in number one is changing our mission statement, Mm -hmm. looking at our core values. I don't know if we're going to go into that later or not, but that was the fundamental starting point, getting alignment on what we stand for, why the business exists, and how we're going to change. And um, I suppose the, the, the number one thing for us was defining how to care for people. Mm-hmm. And essentially, it's not just caring for them financially, it's, it's bigger than that. Mm-hmm. And so we, we broke it up into a nine-box matrix which is basically caring on the vertical axis for the employee themselves, their families, and then the community. And on the horizontal axis, there is um, the idea of sharing the physical needs that they have, the emotional needs, Mm -hmm. and the spiritual needs. Um, And then trying to figure out how do we put something in each of those nine boxes that enriches their lives and reaches what this program is all about, is creating eternal return on investment. And so we started that, and once we realized that, I said, you know, I'm not the right person to actually go do this. We need the help of our people. What's important to them, not to me, because I live in a different world. What's important to the rank and file person on the shop floor, to the engineers? to the sales guys, you know, we're manufacturing, but also sales at the same time. And so we had to do a cross section of our people and say, what's important to them? So when we went on this self-centric focus to others focused, we had to ask them. And so the vehicle that we used to ask people was what we coined as a caring team. So we went to the employees and said to them, Um, How do we 
get representatives from the workforce to be on this caring team so that we could genuinely hear what they had to say through a representative model. Mm -hmm. And so we formed a caring team, um, which is people from every department uh, represented in proportion to the size of the department. Right. And, um, and then empowered them to help us make decisions. So what do you mean by empowered? So what we did was we not only gave them a voice, but we gave them money. And that was pretty scary in the beginning, thinking, you know, um, my thinking back then was these are shop floor people. You give them a lot of money to spend on social programs, that's going to be gone in two seconds. And so you're afraid. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, God led me to believe that I needed to trust. And so we put a, a, a portion of money into a caring fund. And we said to the employees, we want you to come up with programs that will address the needs of this nine box matrix. We didn't start with all nine boxes in the beginning. We said, let's just start with one, the employee's physical needs. What can you do there that is meaningful for our, your fellow employees that would enrich their lives? Yeah. Forget the eternal component. What would enrich their lives? What would make their lives better? And an example of that. So the very first thing that they came up with I mean, it'd blow your mind. And I would never have thought of it. So um, they said, sir, we only need $600. And we had put $10,000 in. And I said, well, you know, well, what about the rest of it? Sir, we don't need that money. All we need is 600 And it's a very simple project that a lot of us really need. And that was a shelter for the smokers to stand outside to not be in the rain. <laughs> when it was raining because there were a lot of smokers back then yeah. and they wanted to go outside and smoke but they had to stand in the rain so they said could you please build us a simple shelter so what we did was we got a little carport put it out there for 600 bucks and they're like wow that is the best thing since sliced cheese and i'm like mm, i would never have thought of that but to your point earlier you would not have come up with that idea first of all you never would have thought as small as 600 dollars, yeah. right you'd have thrown a much bigger amount you did but you also would not have come up with that as the first thing, but that is such a core need to what they, what they were experiencing. Right, and, and the program grew from there in different aspects and um, in, in different ways that I would never have imagined because they started to really, once the program gained traction, they could see it was authentic they could see that it was genuine caring without asking anything in return. Because that was the first thing they said is, well, what do you want? You just built us that shelter. So what now? Darth Vader <laughs> has come and said, what can I do for you? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. So what you had to build trust. Right. And so what we did was do simple programs or projects that were meaningful to them without any strings attached. Just do them. And and then follow up and say, well, how did we do? Was that meaningful to you? What's another program? And, you know, another program was the plant in summer is super hot. You know, down in South Carolina, it gets up over 100 degrees in the plant. And they said, sir, one of the things we were really looking for is simple, cool drinks in the plant. So they got a, an outside vendor that was a Coca-Cola uh, affiliate, and they had drinks um, like, you know, a Coke product and then Gatorade or Powerade or whatever the product was that they came up with. And they could use 
that to drink. Now here's an interesting thing, is when the employees come up with a program like that and the, the first thing that you're concerned about is they're going to take those drinks, they're going to fill out a five-gallon drum and take it home, right? Yeah. And that, so, so here's my mind going 100 miles an hour saying, oh, we've got to stop that. Do you know that the team amongst themselves came up with a bunch of guidelines and boundaries for people to use the drink machine? Mm. Because they felt it was their money. So no longer was it the company's money. This is their caring team funds, and they're going to protect them. And I was like, wow, isn't that awesome? You know, you've got a, a self-regulating mechanism in the plant where caring team members are looking after the, these programs. So it's amazing to hear you discuss it like this and see that there had to be trust built on both sides. Now, as the CEO, as the leadership, you had to start by just handing out trust that you didn't quite know they had earned yet right? right you had to start but once you started they responded and now it's a it's a currency it's a continuous exchange of, of trust between the two yeah I mean I would say now after it's been 15 years almost we have over 50 programs that are, were initiated by the caring team that are run by the caring team they have volunteers on the team that run these different programs, they police them, they monitor them, they put budgets, and the amount of um, goodwill that's been created by that is just blows your mind. Yeah, Peter, these are folks typically that have never been given someone else's money to use, to manage, right? And so, like you said, there's some fear early for you on if I give it to them, they're gonna blow it, right? You're finding they take better care of it. But what does it do for them personally? What does it do for their self-esteem, their their engagement with the business, that kind of thing, when the ownership gives them a budget and says, you've got check-writing authority over this? What kind of an impact does it have on them individually? It's really beyond anything you can really imagine. I initially was very fearful of you know, just handing them a checkbook. We're to the point now where we give one and a half percent of our total revenue, which is the equivalent of tithing on our profits. Uh, but we give it from the first fruits. We give it from revenue, not from profits. So wow. we're, we're really putting our, a our risk there. yeah a lot of risk out there. But that percentage we've given them, they've given us many, many times over. It's kind of like God economics, and you, know, you can't outgive God. When you do it with an authentic, caring, kind heart, he'll pay you back in ways you can't even imagine. And, you know, you, the question you asked, well, what is the impact on people's lives, right? And it's interesting. Um, we've been able to resolve many personal issues in our plant, and I'll give you one example, and I'll kind of follow that through, is... The team came up with this concept of going out into the community and helping rebuild homes uh, for elderly people in the Spartanburg County. And i never forget, we were helping this one gentleman and we were there and um, we sent a team out on a Saturday of volunteers and we provided all the, the, the materials and we're doing that. And one, well, I was out there on the project and one of the employees came and said, Peter, I just want to let you know, you think this house is messed up? He says, there are employees at your company whose houses are just as messed up as mm -hmm. this. And we're helping this gentleman here. 
I think we need to look inside. And wow, that's a caring team guy, right? And so we, we started coming up with these programs where we went on Saturdays to own employees' homes to help rebuild holes in the roof, shingles that had flown off, back doors that were, the hinges fell off, single mom's homes, uh, bathtubs, all little, you know, a ramp to go up with a wheelchair or a, or a stroller or just simple little things like that. And so we started going out and doing some of those projects the amount of goodwill that came back as a result of that is just phenomenal because the employees now start to see that the profits of the company are being used in a way that enriches their lives with an unconditional promise of love. Mm-hmm. So it's not, I've come to fix your home, but I want you to make two widgets an hour more. No, I'm fixing this home because this is the right thing to do to care for people in a way that honors God. and. So what, what started to happen was people started to engage in this concept of caring. And caring is just like uh, selfishness, it builds on itself. Mm-hmm. Caring builds on itself. And when you care for someone, it's hard not to care back for a caregiver, right? Yeah. And so they started to realize that the funds of the company were not there to make the ownership rich but they were there to enrich the lives of the employees in areas that they needed most. Um, And once they realized that, the productivity of employees started to dramatically improve, all the way from um, people being late, that dropped. People taking sick leave dropped. Employee turnover dramatically dropped to to single digits and now even 3%. You're now starting to talk about business metrics. Right. Now, keep in mind we started talking about caring, right? That's that's the initial initial purpose in what you were doing. But there's an after effect. Now, I'm one that does not believe you go to your business and start caring so that these things happen and you can make more money, right? The purpose, and we talked with David Martin in an earlier episode where the purpose is God's placed me here to care for and love on his people. That's why I exist. So I do this. So I hear something very similar from you. But now you go into the business side of this because many people listening may wonder, okay, if I do start doing all this and I'm giving 1.5% of my revenue, I'm going to lose my business. And I know if there's no money, there's no ministry, right? And I can't love people and, and use my business for eternal impact if there's no business. So talk to us about some of the, initially some of the concern or fear you had, not just in letting the money go and them maybe wasting it, but where you started to get some sizable amounts of money that could impact your business negatively. How did you work through that, one? And then two, what did you end up seeing the actual results were? So if you look at our business in terms of putting this money available to the caring team, we started off really slowly. And my recommendation to anyone listening to this and saying, you know, I want to try something like that, start off very slowly. Pick one program, do it with a small amount of money, and start, do one program, but do it well. Mm -hmm. Don't pick five and do five mediocre. Pick one and do it really well. And what we found is as we started to do these programs and they realized that they were unconditional and there was nothing expected in return, they started to grab a hold of the thing and it became 
um, a two-way street. When, when they started to care back with productivity improvements, uh, with starting to see that there's a greater purpose to their jobs than just making money, right? When, when I know that the funds that I'm creating for this company are being used to enrich the lives of other people that I care about and in, in, in unselfish ways, I get engaged. Mm. And when you get engaged, that's what companies want is a culture of engagement. Now, if you want a culture of engagement and you do it in an unselfish way, it breeds on itself. And you can't do it because you want to improve the culture. Because if, if that's all you're doing, employees will sniff that out. Yeah. But when you do it unconditionally for the right reasons, God blesses that in ways that you cannot imagine. That's excellent. So talk about your turnover today. You said it was 25% or greater before. And I think you mentioned a minute ago, but where is your turnover today? Um, it's around 5%. And last year was around 3%. So it, it really has made a dramatic change from 25% down to where it is today. And people that are listening know this, but I've got to state it anyway. Does that add up to dollars? Well, you know, <laughs> the, the savings in recruiting costs, the savings in hiring and training costs have more than paid for our programs. So, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, as we expanded the program, as I say, if you look at the nine box matrix, and I don't know if you want me to expand on that now or if you want to come to that later. Go right ahead. Um, there's an evolution, right? And the way we did it was caring for employees and their physical, practical needs first to gain trust. As we started to do that, we expanded the program to include their family members and physical needs, and then to include the employees' emotional needs. We started programs where we have a counselor on staff that helps them to deal with emotional issues. We have a, a nurse practitioner on staff that has a clinic that we started to take care of the social or the practical, physical, and emotional needs. Mm -hmm. And once that started to gain momentum, we then expanded a little further out and we started to include the spiritual side of things and put a chaplain in place and develop programs for prayer. For We built a chapel. We started to um, provide prayer groups. We have um, a lunch and learn where you can come and learn about the Bible and you get lunch for free. Um, you know, that program started as a very small little program, and today we have over 90 employees coming to that on a weekly basis. So it's almost like a little church now. Mm -hmm. But the key to all these programs is to do them in a non-discriminatory, non-offensive, non-confrontational way. That you offer these programs for people um, that would like to use them, without any form of discrimination. And that's critical. That shows respect for the employees and for their faith or whatever, lack of faith. We're gonna love on you anyway. And part of what we call Fit for Life as this program is it helps you with some practical issues that most parents deal with. How do you handle teenagers hmm. in a God-honoring way? Um, how do you handle aging parents? Um, you know. It's cloaked in the spiritual side of things, but it's also giving you practical examples on how to be fit for life. 
And um, so there's lots of these little programs that we developed that have enriched people's lives. Yeah. So you talked about turnover. You mentioned some about culture of engagement. Do you guys measure in, uh, employee engagement? So we do a annual survey of our employees, and then we do what we call pulse surveys in between that. Um, and the, the, the survey we did initially was just finding out how employees were feeling about the programs, trying to just get a, a sense of do they value these things, uh, all these simple questions. We then realized um, that we were getting engagement. And we said, hmm, is there a way to measure engagement compared to where we started and compared to other businesses in our industry? Yeah. And that would became an interesting point for us to see, are these benevolent programs that we're doing do they result in what world-class companies would call engagement? Sure. And so, yeah, we, do, we started that and we hired a, uh, a firm that is a leader in the engagement uh, metrics. And we now have sophisticated um, data gathering surveys that we do that measure engagement. And in our industry, uh, you know, the, the average engagement is around 45, 50%. We're at 88% engagement, mm -hmm. which really shows the level of engagement as a result of these programs. Sure, and we know turnover turns into dollars as you drop it, right? In the retraining, the hiring, interviewing, all that. Speak a minute on, on engagement. What does engagement do in the business? Okay, so there's a thing, uh, it's a, a phrase coined to be the discretionary effort. So in other words, when I come to work, you're giving me $20 an hour. For $20 an hour, I'm going to give you X units of, of my labor or my time or my devotion. But there's a discretionary component that I'm never going to bring unless I see meaning to my work and whether, and, and whether I'm engaged. Do I understand the purpose? Do I feel fulfillment in the job? How does all that act on me? And what we've noticed is when you tap into that discretionary component, you start to see quality improvements in the plant. Mm -hmm. You see scrap going down. You see productivity per man hour go up. So you're seeing these business metrics that are really driving the bottom line now are being created by the employees who feel engaged because of these programs. So that was never my intention to go down that road, but now all these years later we're measuring these things and we're like wow we need to share this with people no kidding so you started out let's just get back to the the numbers you started out with a small amount going to your caring team and over the years you've pushed that and grown that and now you're at one and a half percent of your top line revenue has that amount compared to the early stages is that exponential increase oh my goodness you can't even measure it it's like so effectively all of these things that are driving the business results up are then being reinvested correct. every year correct so the whole this whole idea the name of the podcast eternal roi roi is critical we cannot run these businesses strictly for the purpose of caring and not run the business part of it well right we've got to do them together but if we do them together the results that come out of a better and improved business reinvested back into the caring 
both in and outside the company can have that eternal impact and it grows exponentially. So it's, it's that whole cycle that we need to be able to see, right? So, so you, you bring up a really good point, you know, the concept of return on investment versus eternal. And when we started this whole program, we had no intention of improving our ROI. All we wanted to do was use the gifts that God had given us, blessed us with, to enrich the lives of others. But what we realized is that as we went on this journey, some of the programs that the employees came up with were creating true eternal results. And I'll give you an example. Uh, one of the programs we have is Corporate Chaplains of America. We have a, a chaplain that mingles with our employees and deals with their real life issues. It's kind of like your own personal coach on a spiritual level. And many of our employees kind of in the beginning were very skeptical of having this pastor guy walking <laughs> amongst us. And um, that's the case until you have a real life crisis. Mm. When your child is got leukemia, when your spouse leaves you, when you've got some major financial crisis, when your spouse is on drugs. Those are real life issues. And that's at that point that you're looking out for someone that can help guide you, even more so when it's with a spiritual perspective. And so we started those programs and um, we've expanded them. Uh, the, the, the chaplain now works closely together. We have at our company a kind of a, a twofer. And what that is, we have a caring manager. His role and his staff, he has people underneath him that helps to facilitate caring. And then you've got the chaplain walking around the plant. So there's the old adage that, you know, praying for someone is great, but if you can take prayer and gifts in kind that can help the person practically go forward in his life, that's awesome. That's, so we've got the caring guy who ca has the purse strings of the caring team, and you've got the the chaplain who's out there hearing the real life tragedies that are out there. And he's bringing those two worlds together. So I'll give you some great examples. For example, uh, one of our employees um, was on, on cocaine. And in, in the past, we would just kick that guy out and be done with it. Okay, we don't need you, out. Now we have a rehabilitation program. The, the chaplain in, was able to identify the issue. He brought him to the caring team. Uh, with the with the person's permission because it has to be permission driven um, and that's when it unlocked the resources of the caring team to provide that person with a 12-week rehabilitation program mm -hmm. all expenses paid in addition to that the expenses his salary was continued to be paid and a team was sent to the to the house to, to help mom cut the grass for 12 weeks to, to help take care of some wow. issues tree falling down who knows what and so when you put those two sides of the package together, you're now getting deep change in that person's life. And it's generational change because he was able to impact his children, take them to church, stop beating the mom, and the whole culture of the family became to transition. And that's when you start to get this concept of ROI, that you're not just enriching the person's life helping him with a drug issue, but you're pointing him to the true physician and the true healer yeah. to help his soul. 
and the souls of his family. And when you can transition to that point, now you're making deep change. Yes. And you know, our company tries to measure both the ROI and the eternal ROI. We have what we call a balanced scorecard. Mm -hmm. On the top, we measure the, the top uh, eight or nine uh, metrics. We measure the performance of the business as any other company would. How's the sales? How's the profitability? How's the return goods? How's safety? All these key metrics, right? But then the bottom half of that thing is what we call the balance scorecard. It measures the creation of eternal value. And so we really try to see what are we doing to enrich the lives of people that's making a dramatic long-term impact. And we try and measure those. That, that measure those. The caring team is responsible for those. <clears throat> the chaplain is a part of that whole thing, and so it's a, it's a true, kind of like what you would do for a customer. You have a caring, a customer service department. We have a caring department that is customer service to our employees, not only for their practical needs but also their spiritual, emotional needs. It's fantastic. What would you say to? Because uh, I think I know you probably talked to your peers. You talked to CEOs who. You know, you said, look at what we've done here. Polydeck, it's amazing. You probably shared stories. Mm -hmm. But still, even some CEOs may not even get it. You know, they, they say, oh, that's great. I'm glad that worked for you. They'll never work for us or whatever. <laughs> what do you say to a, to a CEO who might be listening and be like, wow, this is these are some great stories. You know, it doesn't work for me because, you know, and whatever that excuse is. Um, yeah, what do, you, what do you tell them? So essentially, you know, <clears throat> it, it's a process, right? It's not something you change overnight. Mm. It's a journey. And that journey starts with um, some, some basic fears that you have. You know, the fear of if I'm a God-honoring company, will I lose customers? Mm. What are my customers going to think if I have a, a mission statement that says that I honor God and what I do? It's like, mm, you know, how's that going to turn out? You know, the other one is if I give money to this caring team, what happens if I lose all my money? You know, that doesn't get me very far. So the fear of loss of profits. Um, then what will what my employees think? Because there are a lot of employees in the company that will look at you with your holy roller kind of attitude. Well, how does that work, you know? And so you have to be very mindful of them and respectful of all people of all different faiths and to do it with a kind, caring, unconditional love that cares for people no matter what, you know? So that's another one of those fears, I think, that, that people often have. And then ultimately, is if I go down this road, will I be sued, you know? Um, that's probably one of the scariest things if my company is in the newspaper because I've been sued right. because of my religious beliefs. Well, that's not very exciting. Uh, I don't want to go down that road. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, his way at work has um, we had to muddle through on these four questions on our own because we didn't really know the answer. So we muddled through it, but we got through on the other side. Mm -hmm. Now there's His Way at Work and, and other organizations that will help guide you through those four fears, help you guide you through the implementation of this program. But to come back to your, your question, how does one take this thing and what are the steps to implement it? And Basically, there's four major steps. And the first one is getting alignment at the senior level. You have to be aligned. There has to be a joint commitment of the leadership team. Because if you're going to start putting money in a caring fund 
and the owners of the business are not aligned, you're going to start squabbling and fighting right out of the gates. Yeah. And what does that look like? That's not very good. So the key is first having your senior leadership team, the owners, the decision makers come together and define what is the purpose of our business. Mm. Write it down. It may take you a while. It took us several months to figure it out. And ours is only three sentences long, you know. But it took us months to come up with it because of the fact that people are looking from different perspectives, yeah. different faiths, different perspectives. So that's my first encouragement. Try to find alignment at the senior level. Um, once you've got that alignment, then try and put out some documents that say what you believe. What is the purpose of your business? Why, you, why do you exist? How are you going to implement this new purpose statement? And what values are you going to use? You know, what are the common guiding principles that you're going to rally around? And what are some of the borders? So in other words, the, 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 um, the barriers that you're going to put in place that you, as a team you can't step outside of. Right. Define those. Once you've got that alignment, if you've written it down, it may take several weeks or months to do that. Mm -hmm. But it's well worth the time. It not only is good for the, this journey that I'm about to share with you, but it's good for the, for the company mm. to, to know what it stands for. It's mission statement. What products are you going to make? What markets are you going to sell to? You know, how are you going to run the business? These are fundamental things that we didn't have mm. that we created. Once you've created that, the next thing is how do you disseminate that to the rank and file employees? How do you get their engagement in that process. And it starts off by selecting people from your rank and file employees and getting them engaged in the caring process. Um, once you've got them on board with this journey, then it's a case of funding it and gradually step by step walking down that, that road. And then the last component is making sure that you measure. Mm. Just like in business, whatever we measure, we improve, right? Mm. Make sure you measure the key components that the caring is meant to, to impact. So, for example, one of the metrics we have is how many employees are we impacting with our caring funds? Because if there's only three employees and they all get in the, the lion's share, that's not a good thing. Yeah. You want to have it disseminated amongst a large portion of people. And is it having an impact? Is it enriching people's lives? And you know, one of the survey questions we have is, do you feel at a moment of crisis that Polydeck will stand behind you and enrich your life? Yes or no? And you know, we're up to 99% of our employees feel committed to know that in a moment of personal crisis, personal crisis, not in a job, not I'd hurt my finger on the job, in my personal world, did you come to my rescue? And I think those are some of the metrics that we've measured. So those are the four key elements of this journey. And Chris can share uh, at many other companies that he's coached some more metrics around that. Sure, yeah. It's incredible, I think, that you have been able to create that culture you know, in an industry that is probably one of the hardest industries. You know, it's not a touchy-feely industry at all. <laughs> the, the mining industry is not you know, in touch with their feelings. Um, <laughs> Go watch the Discovery program, <laughs> Gold Rush. You'll yeah. see. Yeah. <laughs> they hit each other with shovels. It's <laughs> <laughs> been, been nine years in West Virginia, so I, I know a <laughs> lot of miners um, and good people. But, uh, 
Yeah, I, I think it's incredible. I really appreciate your generosity and sharing about what you've done. Um, as we close, we end with a, a few final questions. What's a book or a resource that have you found uh, particularly inspiring? So um, we wrote a small little book called The Business Card, mm-hmm. which basically talks about the transformation of our company. And it all started with putting our mission statement, our core values, and our purpose statement on the back of our business card mm. and how that changed everything, not only from the sales team to the production team to employees to everyone got engaged. And th- that small little book called The Business Card is available on Amazon right. and through His Way at Work. And it, it talks about the transformation in our business using that simple pr- principle. Um, another book that His Way at Work has created is The Transformation Guide that helps with culture and lays out a practical step-by-step program to do that. There are many, many other books, and Chris will share with you, that are, are there as resources in this field. Yeah, we'll make sure we put those in the show notes for the podcast. Um, what's one piece of advice you wish someone had given you 10 years ago? Well, I think the key was to go slowly mm. because that was, I've seen several companies try to, in, with enthusiasm, go a little too fast. And we got some sticks in our eyes in the beginning <laughs> for trying to, through enthusiasm, trying to push the program maybe faster than we should have. Um, and, you know, there were some things that I, I kind of personally got involved in and I should have got the the caring team involved and I pushed and they never came to fruition because they were Peter's ideas Mm, and that was some sticks in the eyes early on so I wish someone had told me (laughs) you know (laughs) trust your caring team you don't know it all (laughs) that's great Um, and as as we close so what's the big takeaway you think that someone who's listening to this who might be an entrepreneur or CEO what's the big takeaway that you think they should take from this conversation I think at the end of the day, it's um, for you as a CEO, as an owner of a company, to ask why do you have that business? Mm. What is it there for? And and if you think about having a business, a business creates a lot of revenue and generates profits. If we see the business as a gift and we're going to be held accountable for the use of those gifts, I think the biggest thing there is trying to if ask from God's perspective, well, how will you measure me one day mm-hmm. on this business? And and when you go down that journey, I think that the, the most um, biggest aha moment for me came when I had purpose. Mm-hmm. Because Mark Twain says it great. He says there's two most important moments in your life, the moment you're born and the moment you find out why. And once you find out why and that you can truly realize that the reason you have the business is not to make money, well, then what is it? If it's not to make money, well, well why do I have this thing? Yeah. Well, it's to enrich people's lives and create eternal value by caring for people in a way that honors God. And let me tell you, when you honor God through that, he will bless you so many times over, you almost can't count your blessings. Yeah, that's true. Doing, doing things God's way, God's way brings his reward. Brings peace yeah. and joy and, and purpose to your life that no amount of money will ever give you. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. So good. This has been 
an incredible yeah. conversation. I told you. Thank I told you it'd be a good one. <laughs> it's a, it's <laughs> Thank a great you. one. I appreciate you being here. I appreciate yeah. you. Thanks, Thanks so much for your time. Much. Yeah. And for everybody who has watched and listened along, thank you so much for taking the time. You made it to the end. Appreciate that. But uh, we're uh, we're here for you. If you wanted to uh, learn more about His Way at Work, go to uh, hwaw.com and learn a little bit about what they do. If you're wanting to kind of start with your company and, and start down that, that road, just learn a little bit, uh, contact them today and, and they can help you. But if you want to hear more episodes of our podcast here, we're on any podcast app, just search for eternal ROI. And if you'd like to see us, if you're maybe listening on the podcast, you didn't realize we are also recording via video and you want to see it, um, live streamed on video. We're on Facebook as well. So just search for his way at work on Facebook and you'll find us there until next time. Thanks so much.